This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Today for our study time, we are going to take a look at the gospel passage we just read. And we're going to start out here by talking a little bit about the few verses that appear before our text for today. Because, you see, John the Baptist had been or become a phenomenon in Israel. And it was most likely not because of his health food diet. Everyone knows he was eating locusts and wild honey. And it probably wasn't that he was making a great fashion statement because the dude was wearing camel's hair clothing. And that, based on my acquaintance with the camel market, could not have been the most aromatic thing you could think of. So people were attracted to John because of the message that he was preaching. He was telling people ahead that Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And I have come to let you all know that your Messiah is on the way. And he's almost here. Now, John then looks and he sees Jesus coming to him. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in one sentence, John the Baptist told us two things. One, who Jesus is. And two, the gospel message encapsulated in as few words as possible. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this is really awesome because this fits John the Apostle's reason for writing his gospel. Because if you remember, John the Apostle said, like in John, was it chapter 20? These things are written so that what? You may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. These things are written so you may believe. So John was eager to make sure that he got John the Baptist's quote into his work because John said it very well. John the Baptist said it very well. Here's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God, and he's going to take away the sin of the world. Now, we think, yeah, okay, so we know that, you know, yeah, we know Jesus came and that he died, and he takes away our sin. And a lot of people, I think, at some point get kind of bored, for lack of a better way to say it, hearing that all the time, because... Every sermon probably includes something about that all the time. And so you say, yeah, 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 we know Jesus came and died for our sin. You know. And you sh we should never do that, by the way, because that is the gospel message. The whole gospel is encapsulated in that. We are no longer, if we have come to Christ, we are no longer uh, legally obligated to pay the price for our sin because why? Jesus did it for us. And I think that's a pretty important detail. Amen? We'd be, well, let's not talk about where we would be without Jesus doing that. Now, 
Scott Hosey writes about this passage and John Baptist's announcement that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Despite the world-famous nature of the phrase, the Lamb of God, this is a John 1 novelty not found anywhere else in the Bible. That Jesus is identified as being a lamb is surely confirmed, of course, in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. But the precise phrase used in John 1 may be a John the Baptist novelty, as we were just saying. What did John the Baptist mean by it? Well, as noted, there is not a great scholarly consensus on this question. The most obvious choice is to connect this to the Passover lamb. But even this is disputed by many because theologians don't have a whole lot else to do except argue with one another. That's my inclusion in his quote. That's not what Scott Hosey wrote. But if you do not go that route, the other options are limited to a single verse scattered here or there in the Old Testament, the best known of which is Isaiah 53's passing reference to a lamb being led silently to the slaughter. Now, what this is, is a painting by the artist El Greco. Kent Hughes talks about this in his commentary on the Gospel of John. He saw the publicity for this traveling exhibit that was going to display some great artworks. And El Greco, by the way, is Spanish for the Greek because he was Greek and he lived in Spain. Now, what is this painting? This is the Apostle Peter. And you look down at his hands. What is he holding? Keys. Keys. Where does El Greco get that idea? From Matthew chapter 16. Jesus tells Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And so that's the name of this painting. Peter holding the keys of the kingdom. Now, Kent Hughes says he went to see that and he, thought, he stood there and he stared at that painting because it, of its magnificence. But he turned around, now the next frame, and he saw this painting. And this one is different. It's called Agnus Dei, which is one of the reasons we sang that song today. What does that mean? The Lamb of God. Now, Kent Hughes looked at this painting and he saw this lamb and you see there's a halo here. And one of the things that moved him to the point of tears was that he looked and what are the detail can you notice about this painting? Well, probably several, but there's one I'm looking at in particular. His legs are tied. Like Jesus when he had his hands tied behind his back and was being beaten by the Roman cohort. And he's laying, this lamb is laying on a cross. And he couldn't take his eyes off this painting because it just touched him so, because this encapsulates that entire idea of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it was a fascinating thing for him because he had never been that moved by a painting in his life except that this one touched his heart in a special way because it told the message of John chapter 1, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, here's one thing we need to keep in mind. John the Baptist had two of his, his disciples leave and follow Jesus. Was John upset by that? No, because he realized his role when he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So he did not get upset about that. For our teaching purposes, we have to remember that if we're doing any kind of ministry, not to count noses, because this is a kingdom thing. John the Baptist realized this, and he let them go. Now, Andrew is one of the two. Now, Andrew is unique because Andrew is only mentioned a few times in the New Testament. Most of the time he's listed in that list of the disciples, but Andrew's listed two more times in the Gospel of John. And each time Andrew is listed there, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Who does Andrew bring first? His brother Peter. Now, Andrew brought Peter. How many people do you think have been moved to enter the kingdom of God by the preaching of Andrew? How many people have been moved to trust in Christ because of the work of Peter? Lots. Still to this day, there's the books of 1st and 2nd Peter. So Andrew's contribution may have not been very numerically significant, but he brought somebody that was numerically significant, so to speak. And so that's one of the things we need to keep in mind while we are being witnesses for Christ. We are not to sit there and count and have a tally sheet with how many converts we win on a particular day. We're supposed to be winning and making disciples. And so it's the quality of the work that we do that's important. You see, we're not called upon to win lots of people. And sometimes those numbers may not be that significant because there was this one guy named Edward Kimball. Anybody know who that is? Never heard of him, right? He, he only contributed to the kingdom of God by winning Dwight Moody to Christ. Then Dwight Moody's ministry was significant enough to where he won F.B. Meyer to Christ. Meyer won J. Wilbur Chapman to Christ. Chapman was converted at a Moody convention or evangelistic crusade. Billy Sunday was converted at a J. Wilbur Chapman crusade. And there was this one dude, this evangelist named Mordecai Ham, who was converted at a Billy Sunday meeting. Now, there's a, there's a story about this next guy that I'm going to talk about here. And it's he and his friend were going to check out Mordecai Ham. And one of them says... Let's go into this tent and hear what this wacko has to say. Now, they were horsing around, pushing and shoving, and so they said, and found that there was no seat for them. So they said, let's get out of here. But there was this big, huge, burly usher who came up, put his big arms around both those guys and said, hey guys, 
I'm glad you're here. Let's go find you a seat. So the usher took them to the seats, and the rest is history. Because one of those two men that that usher escorted to the seats was Billy Graham, who was converted at Mordecai Ham's evangelistic crusade. So let us not be shy about witnessing or even being terribly concerned about what we use to witness to somebody. Now, everyone see this hat? Everyone see the logo on it? Friday afternoon, I was wearing this hat, and I happened to be at the compactor in our complex. Now, you remember back in April or May when I challenged everyone to start praying for somebody so you can invite them to come to church, right? Everybody remember that? Well, I was at this compactor, the compactor, and this guy rolls up in his golf cart, and it happens to be the maintenance man at our complex who happens to also be the guy that I've been praying for. And so he looks at my hat, and this is one of the frustrating things about that. I thought this hat was cool, and I thought lots of people would ask me what it is because the logo happens to be for the Edmonton Elks, a football team in the Canadian Football League. Nobody had asked about that hat until the maintenance man came up and he said, what is that, the Milwaukee Bucks? And I said, no, it's the Edmonton Elks. He said, uh, what is that? It's a sports team, and it's a franchise in the Canadian Football League. He says, oh, okay. And then I told him why Edmund, the Edmonton Elks are my favorite CFL team, besides the fact that I've always been a contrarian liking things that other people don't, which is, in this case, the Canadian Football League. Now, in our diocese in the Northeast, the Northeast diocese comprises New York and Pennsylvania and the New England states. We have a mission church in Edmonton, Alberta, way out in the West. But they put it with the Northeastern Diocese. And so, sympathetically, that was my cue to decide to make the Edmonton Elks my favorite team. Well, I was explaining this to the maintenance man who said, oh, oh, that, that makes sense now. And guess what? Because I had the opportunity to talk about the CEC in our diocese, that was the cue to finally invite the man to come to church. So don't be surprised if the Lord uses the most unusual things, like an Edmonton Elks cap, to give you the opportunity to share something about Jesus with somebody. And don't be worried about whether or not they ever respond, because whose responsibility is, is it on whether or not the person you're talking to responds to your, your witness? Whose responsibility is it? Jesus, by his Holy Spirit. So, will this guy ever come to church? I don't know. But I had the opportunity because of the Edmonton Elks. And Jesus, of course. Now, that's what we need to remember about all of this, is it's not the numbers. 
you see this guy Kimball, uh, let's see, what's his name? Edward Kimball, he may have only won one person to Christ in his lifetime, but it was Dwight Moody. And the rest is history. Moody went on to have an incredible ministry. And then you take this line of succession and you get down to the last guy mentioned, and it was Billy Graham. So Edward Kimball's witness, faithfully being a witness to Dwight Moody, eventually, one by one by one by one, came down to the conversion of Billy Graham. And how many people has, did Billy Graham win to the Lord? Thousands, maybe even millions. So just do what you're supposed to do. Share Christ and let Jesus handle the results because we may not see it right away because Kimball didn't see the results right away, but eventually they will come. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living. Mm-hmm.